Okay, well, I'm going to go into this message. Last week I talked about our identity and who we are in Christ and how uh, we're known to people. And, you know, our, what you believe about yourself has a really big impact on your life. Your self-identity, how you view yourself is going to uh, matter how you, how you go through life. It's going to have a big impact. So um, today we're going to go through this series some more. We're looking at who, who am I or who are we, but who are you? You know, if someone asks you, who are you, what do you usually tell them? Well, who are you? Like, have you ever been to a, you know, a funeral sometimes, and you're in that line waiting to greet the family and friends, and you only know, like, there's like a line of like 30 people, and you know like two of them. She's like, oh, man, this is going to be awkward. Okay, I know that guy and that guy, and the rest of them like, well, who are you? How do I know you? And like, how do you know them? Like, well, I used to hunt with them. I used to fish with them. I used to work with them. I used to teach school with them. Whatever it is, you have some way to identify how you knew that person. And for the rest of them, it's just going to be this awkward moment of you trying to uh, in, in, introduce yourself to them and how you have this connection. But uh, when you're introducing yourself to someone else, you know, growing up, when my father would introduce me to somebody, he'd say, this is my son. And when my grandfather introduced me to someone, he'd hug me and say, this is my grandson. I love this guy. And when my mother would introduce me to someone, she said, this is Ryan. He's the baby of the family. He's my, ba- he's my baby. And I'm 50. She's watching. She'll say, that's my baby. I'm not 50 yet. Praise God. I've got a couple months left almost, but getting close. But, um, but anyway, my brother introduces me. He'll say, this is uh, my younger brother. And he'll say, I'm the older, better looking brother. That's what he'll say about himself. This is my less attractive brother, Ryan. He'll, he'll say stuff like that. <laughs> you know, only stuff brothers and family members can say. But, you know, when people introduce you, there's something they say to you about who you are, what, who they are to you. If someone, one of you introduced me to somebody, you might say, this is my pastor, Ryan. Uh, he's been at our church for a long time. Or, or he's Canadian, I might say. And, or you might say, whatever. If I, I say a word funny, like, well, don't mind that. He's Canadian or something. I've heard all those things. You know, and, and uh, when I introduce myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a pastor. And I am Canadian, but I am American. So when I go to the Canadian border, I, give my, I can give my Canadian passport. When I come back in America, I can give my American passport. And both are true at the same time. And it's not part of my message, but you too have two passports. You have one here for America, but you have another passport for heaven, because you are aliens and strangers to this place. Uh, but you're just here for a while and not forever. But who you really are um, is a and who's your real identity is a lifelong question that you're going to have to battle with and struggle with until you get the answers that God wants you to have, until you accept the answer that God wants you to have. You're not just what you do for an occupation. You're not a plumber or a technician or whatever. You are who God says that you are. And sometimes we can get our identity through what we do. I mean, even though I'm a pastor, that's not, I don't think if God was introduced me to somebody, I don't say, this is Pastor Ryan from Plumtree. I don't know. I don't think he'd say that. He probably says something like, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, or this is my friend Ryan, or this is whatever, what he'd say. So getting the question, the answer to these questions about who you are is super important because it goes past just this superficial answer of what you do for a living or you're a photographer or whatever. It goes to the core of who you really are in God's eyes, okay? And many people have struggled with this. The devil has been going after identity from the beginning of time. And he did it with Adam and Eve. He did it with, you know, all kinds of people in the Bible. He's going to try to do it with you and I, too. He just will. And so teenagers, and uh, uh, I mean, this doesn't really get any better when you get older, just not trying to give you any bad news. But uh, you really have to figure it out at some point in your life, whether you're a teenager or whether you're 80, you still have to figure out who you are. Okay? You know, when uh, I'm introduced 
to somebody through one of the people that know our kids, they'll say, oh, this is Jordan's dad. And that's my identity to them. I'm just Jordan's dad. Or Lord or Taylor or Micah's dad or whatever. Or this is Holly's husband or this is whatever. We have all these different ways we're introduced by people depending on how they know us or what the connection is. But my question is to you, who are you? If you were introducing yourself to somebody, who would you say you are? If you were walking up to God, walking up to Jesus, and he said to you, introduce yourself to Moses over here. Or introduce yourself to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or David over here. What would you say? Oh, I'm Ryan. I live in Plumtree. Uh, I didn't get the Ten Commandments or anything, or I didn't do what this guy did. But you know, we instantly kind of can go back to what we've done, what we've accomplished, what we did for a living or something. And that is not how the Father thinks about you in terms of what you did for a living. Okay? Now, I want to show you this in the Bible. There's different examples all through scriptures. I'm going to just give you a few. But God wants us to know who we are and who we are in Christ. Because, you know, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, here they were perfect creations, never sinned. There was no such thing of sin. For some reason, the devil's in the garden in the form of a snake. He starts talking to her and telling her that God basically lied to you. He's holding something back from you, Eve, because he doesn't want you to be just like him. I don't know, making her imply that he, you, she might overthrow, overthrow the throne or whatever. Who knows which way he tried to try to make her think. For some reason, she had walked with God in the cool of the day. She ate from fruit from all these different beautiful trees, a fruit that's probably not even on this planet anymore. And she's eating all these things, and then a talking snake talks to her. And she cancels all the things she's ever heard God say, all the things God's ever done, and she starts questioning her mind, hmm, I wonder if which one's true. Who's lying to me, a snake or a God? Now, we laugh about it today, but I'm telling you, you and I have believed the snake many, many times in our lifetime. We can judge Eve all we want to, and Adam also. We believe the talking snake more than the talking God many times. We have. Okay, we just have. And so we're in the same boat with them. It's a little different stakes as it was for them, a little higher stakes for them because it affected all humanity. But it's going to affect your life, too. It's going to affect your children's life. It's going to affect your future. It's going to affect your grandchildren. It's going to affect all this, your destiny, if you don't believe who God says you are. Think about the life of Gideon for a minute, okay? We'll look at this in Judges 6. Gideon's view of himself and God's view of Gideon were not the same, were they? All right, Judges 6, 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terabith tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Josie the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. There's a, a, a verse I don't want to read again right now. But um, that's cool. The angel Lord sat under a tree. You ever picture that? They might, they're not always just dancing or doing these whatever things angels do. He's just sitting under a tree. Now, we don't know. They, sometimes they say the angel of the Lord actually is, means the Lord. We don't know, but it's one or the other. So verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, Who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? He's in the wine press. He's crushing wheat in the wine press because the, the Midianites has been stealing from them. They'd sow this seed, they'd plant the harvest, and every time the harvest came up, the Midianites would come in and raid their land, steal all their wheat. So he was hiding it in the wine press and he was treading it out to try to have food for, for people. And uh, he, God calls him here through this angel, a mighty man of valor. Okay? He didn't call him, hey, you, in the wine press. Hey, you, the wheat presser, wheat crusher. Hey, you, farmer, 
Farmer Gideon, guess what? God thinks you're pretty cool. I mean, he didn't call him by his occupation. He called him by his destiny. He called him by how God saw him. And until we see ourselves how God sees us, we're not going to change to become who God called us to be. We're called, the Bible says, no longer know each other after the flesh, but know each other after the spirit. We have to become spiritually in tune to our real identity in Christ. Amen? So God calls him again from his place of identity and not his place of occupation or experience. Let's go on to verse 13. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Have you ever asked that question before? Hey, nothing's new under the sun, right? Gideon's the same as us. You go through something bad, oh, my Lord, if you're really with me, why did all this stuff happen to me? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? Why did, you're sovereign, you could have intervened here, you could have done this and that. And he's asking him, if you're really with us, where have you been? What have you been doing? He said, and where are all the miracles which our father told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. So Gideon's having this kind of argument, if you will, a little debate with the angel of the Lord, if God's with him or not. He's judging it by his circumstances. Have you done it? Yeah, me too. So Gideon doubts the fact that God's with him by his circumstances. Now, earlier in the chapter, I'm not going to read it, but just for time's sake, um, God said, said to uh, the people who are seeking God, God sends a prophet, he tells them, here's the reason why the, the um, Midianites have been after you for the last seven years, is because they've been worshiping idols. And particularly, they've been worshiping the idol of Baal. You've disobeyed me, he says. Now, verse 14, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So again, the Lord, there doesn't seem like a really long conversation. Gideon had these questions, like, hey, you're really with us. Uh, where you been? What about these miracles? And he doesn't even answer any of that stuff. He just says, go in this might. He called him the mighty man of valor earlier, and I said, now go in this might, and you'll be the deliverer for all of Israel. Okay, if you've been just crushing wheat in the wine press, and now you're having this major trans- <laughs> transition in your life from wheat crusher to, to midnight crusher, it might be a little bit tough for you to believe that. Okay? This is an amazing encounter with God uh, that he's having here. But here's his response in verse uh, 15. He says to him, Oh, my Lord. I don't know which tone he used that. There's no emojis here to tell you how he emphasized that the way Mark did in his sermon. You, guys, you remember him saying that? Do you guys say that? Oh, my Lord. I don't know how he said this, but he says, Oh, my Lord. Can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So here's his list of excuses that we give God when he calls you. When he calls you. Has he ever called anyone, anybody that was qualified? And who would judge their qualifications anyway other than God? Would it be because they're tall or whatever? But he said here he was the least, the weakest in Manasseh was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he was the least of all of them. Now, I don't know what he meant by least, if he meant like he was the youngest, if he meant like he was the slowest, the weakest, the shortest. We don't know what he meant by that. Uh, But he was the least in something, and God didn't seem to be the least concerned about what he felt like he was the least in. Did he? Sometimes we major on stuff in our minds that God's not the least concerned about at all. What, you can't do that? Well, no kidding you can't do that. But guess what? I can just go, and it all happens. Just know I'm going to go with you. So basically, Gideon's correcting this angel by saying, All right, I know you're calling me mighty man of valor, but really, I'm the least of the least. I'm the weakest of the weakest. I can't possibly do what you're telling me to do. 
Now, which one of these is true? Is he mighty? Is he a mighty man of valor or is he weak? Who's right? Is the angel of the Lord right or is Gideon right? Okay. Who's right in your life? Is it the angel of the Lord? Is it God's word? Or is it your feelings and your emotions? Because what you've seen your friend or neighbor do, your grandmother or grandfather do, or what the line of work they did, so you, this is how it's going to be for you forever. Is it, I'm telling you, this is not a Satan problem. This is not a sin problem. This is a belief problem. It's a belief problem. We don't believe who God says we are. The Satan, Satan and sin has already been defeated by Jesus. That's not the hindrance that's holding you back. It's your belief of who you really are is holding you back. It's a belief what God has already done for you is holding you back. It's us disqualifying ourselves from these things because we're holding ourselves back because we're not worthy or we're not skilled enough. We can't sing. We can't preach. We can't do whatever. And we disqualify ourselves from the very thing that God says you can do because I'm with you. Because I'm with you. That's really all we need. We don't always recognize that. He told him, get up and go, I'm with you. But Gideon's like, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm the weakest of the weeks. So Gideon believed this to be true, even though it was a lie. Gideon felt like his true part of his identity was that he was the weakest of the weak. But from God's perspective, this was not the case. I'm telling you, sometimes we're going to make up excuses and reasons why we're not going to obey God. And it's going to be all based on your feelings, your emotions, your insecurities from your past. And it's going to hinder us from walking in the things of God. How can I do this? The only reason, the answer he really ever gives is I'm with you. That's what he says. He said the same thing to Gideon. He said the same thing to Moses. I'll show you in a minute. He said the same thing to Joshua. I'll show you that in a minute. He says the same thing. I'm with you. And if God's with you, who can be against you? If God's for you, who can be against you? Amen? So God says he's a mighty man of valor. God said Gideon would deliver the Israelites and defeat the Midianite army as if they had a one-man army. And God said he was surely with Gideon, but Gideon had a different view of himself. And his view of himself hindered him from believing what God said about him to be true. And he had to put all, the, all these fleeces out, all these signs out, all these things to question if God's telling him the truth or not. And you know what? I don't think that really honors God, to be honest. And just saying, even in the New Testament, there's no uh, example in the New Testament where we're called to be sons of Gideon where we put out fleeces. Okay, the sons of God are led by the spirit of God, not by throwing a fleece on the ground of his dry one side, flip it over, try it again and again and again until it doesn't work so you can disqualify yourself. I knew it wasn't for me. We're hoping that it goes bad. We're hoping it goes wrong. That's why we're giving them all these chances. God will pick somebody else. And guess what? God doesn't want to pick somebody else. He's calling you. He wants you. There's something specific he has designed that he's formed you in his mother's womb. He breathed his life into you. He knew what he wanted you to do before you walked on this planet. And he knows who you are. He knows who you are. Think about the life of Moses, okay? He was removed from his family's house uh, as a baby, put in this basket, floated him down the Nile River, uh, went into the, the reeds. The Pharaoh's daughter found him, brought him home. Then later, it was a cool part of the story, too, is his mother actually got paid to nurse him and take care of him until he was a certain age, which that's just the grace and power of God right there. The one trying to kill him was one now feeding him and paying for his expenses and giving him training. Okay, but anyway, he's a Hebrew being raised in an Egyptian. He's trained in all the ways of the Egyptian, Egyptians, and he ate at the Pharaoh's table. He had a, this had a big impact on his identity, a big impact, okay? Am I a Hebrew? Am I Egyptian? Am I a Hebrew? Am I an Egyptian? And I think in the church, too, it's us. It's, am I saved? Am I a sinner? 
Am I a sinner? Am I a saint? Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? And I'm telling you, God does not want you to live there. That is not the question for the children of God. Okay? When Moses was 40 years old, he went out walking where the slaves were, his family were. Walking around, he saw this one Egyptian soldier beating up one of his brethren, one of his family Hebrews. And Moses thought, well, here's my chance to deliver my family. I'm going to beat this guy up. So he beats him up and kills him, and he buries his body in the sand and thinks that no one's going to find him or find out. So they must have had some NCIS agents back then, too, or something. I don't know who they were. But they found this body in the sand, or someone testified to it. Pharaoh finds out and said, kill Moses. He's not for us. He's for the Hebrews. Kill him. And so Moses finds out, and he beelines it out to the wilderness. And we don't hear much about Moses for about 40 years. He's now, he's now a shepherd. He's now went from the palace, eating the king's best, eating the best of everything, the best training you can receive. He's now in the wilderness as a shepherd. He's out there marrying uh, an Ethiopian woman. Who knows if that was what he wanted originally or what his, all his dreams of his life were totally altered and changed in that moment. He was now on the run as a murderer, being hunted down, trying to find him. And for 40 years in this wilderness, wonder if God left him. If he just ruined his whole life. He just blew everything. But 40 years later, you guys know the story. He's just doing his regular routine. You know, sometimes we think God can't reach us and get to us when we're doing our regular routine stuff. While you're on the telephone pole, Michael, or while you're fixing electricity, or while you're at work, Mark, or Dale, you're doing electrical stuff, or whatever you guys are doing, God can reach you and get to you even, in the, even at work, even in those moments. He's tending the sheep. It's not, he's not praying. He's not fasting. He's not this big thing. He, he's tending the sheep, and he sees this bush on fire. You go, that's odd. This bush is on fire, and it's not being consumed. So he goes over. You guys know the story. But God speaks to him out of this burning bush for two full chapters. Two full chapters. And so I want to show you this in, in uh, verse, Exodus 3.11. But Moses says to God, he calls him, of course, tells him to take off his sandals, all this stuff. Then Moses says to God, who am I? Who am I? Here's that question again that we're going to have to answer in your lifetime. Who am I? Moses, same thing. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm a murderer. I'm a shepherd. I, I blew my life. I blew my chance. I, everything I had, I, I've lost. I can't see my Egyptian mother who raised me in family. I can't see my Hebrew mother and father, my brother. I've lost everything. Who am I that you're going to send me to go back into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go? And I think he probably did it like that. Just saying. I wasn't there, but I think he did it like that. But anyway, um, this is, again, one of the biggest questions you're going to face in your life is, who are we? Moses saw himself, again, as a murderer, a shepherd, and, a, and a, someone who's hunted down, trying to be captured. But that is not how God saw him. Is it possible that you have a false identity about yourself, how you see yourself, and it's, but it's not the way God sees you? You see yourself after your worst mistake, like the murder that Moses did, your worst thing that you ever did. And even then, God can turn take what was enemy meant for evil and turn it around for good in your life. And it doesn't have to stop the, the change or change of God's plan for your life. So this goes on in verse 12. God doesn't even address that question about him saying, who am I to do this? He ignores that. Thank God for some of his ignoring of our our weak, wimpy prayers and moaning and groaning and bemoaning about ourselves. Oh, how can I do it? I'm like Gideon. I'm the weakest of this and I'm weakest of that. Oh, me. Somebody help me. <laughs> Are you guys okay? 
maybe it's just a self-testimony. I don't know. I'm just I'll speaking for myself. If you can relate, jump in. Like Cinderella, wear the shoe if it fits, but whatever. But um, it says, Moses, he says to Moses, verse 12, I'll certainly be with you. So he just gave this whole list. Of, I can't do it. I can't go to Pharaoh. Who am I to do that? He goes, Moses, I'm going to go with you. I'm not sending you by yourself. I'm going with you. So God tells Moses again all these reasons why he can't do it. And God tells him, I'm going to go with you. It means the same thing he said to Gideon. Yeah, Gideon, I know you can't do this. No, duh, you can't do this. I know that. I know who you are. I know you're made from dirt. But I'm going with you. And it's the same thing Gideon, same thing Moses, same thing Joshua. Joshua 1.9 says this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. And you know that same promise we have today, not because we're Joshua or Gideon or Moses, we have that same promise by Jesus. He says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the very ends of the earth. I gave my spirit to abide with you forever. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That means he's with you everywhere that you go. Everywhere you go. Every, when you're at work or on the job, you're in the hospital, wherever you go, he's with you always to the very ends of the earth. There's nowhere you can go from his presence. We have this same promise, and that should be enough. If for some reason it wasn't enough for Gideon, and it wasn't enough for Moses either. But I hope, by the grace of God, it'll be enough for us. That we'll be not so focused on our weaknesses and what we can't do and how many times we've messed this up we tried before. But focus on the fact this time, this time I'm going to be conscious of God's with me. God's with me. Okay? So verse 4, or chapter 4, uh, God goes on talking to Moses for the whole rest of chapter 3, telling him all these cool things he's going to do by the grace of God, and God's going to help him do the, the plagues, all this stuff, and what's going to happen. And Moses, uh, listening, I think he's half listening, like, I can't wait for God to stop talking so I can tell him my next excuse. That's just how I see it. He goes, he says to them, why should they listen to me? In chapter why should they listen to me? Here's another question you're going to have to face as God calls you out into ministry. Is why would they listen to me? You know, this is the question I have to fight week after week after week. And I had to fight for years after years and before that, before I even got here. I've been preaching the same different things. We'll try to do different things here. Week after week, I'm like, why would they listen? And it has to be, it's not about what I'm saying so much as about who I'm talking about. It's who I'm talking about. It's not me. It's, I'm trying to tell you about God, how he shows me things about God. But here's a question you're going to have to face when God calls you to do something. Who am I and who's going to believe me? Who's going to believe what I'm going to say? Why, why would they believe me? So Moses goes on this whole thing. God said, all right, listen, throw your rod down, snake thing, put your hand in your coat. Oh, my gosh, it's healed again. You know, he does all these signs for Moses, the burning bush, this, the, the rod, the leprosy, all this stuff. And he still does not feel like it's enough. That he's not enough. He did two chapters. God, God is talking to Moses through a burning bush. And his insecurities are so strong that he can't believe what God's saying about him is true. He's believed the voice of his internal voice of the accuser so long, he can't believe the voice of his creator who's right in front of him. He said, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. You don't have to do this alone. I'm going to go with you. And he can't believe it. Moses goes on and gives him some more excuses. He says, uh, verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, <laughs> whatever way he said it, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to me. Hey, look, I'm still speaking slow right now. You didn't fix me yet. You didn't fix it. I'm still doing it. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. What is he doing? 
he's showing another reason why God can't use him. I can't use, can't use me. And I don't know if Moses, Moses had some kind of experience in his lifetime where this wounded his heart. That he just believed that he couldn't speak. Maybe he was back in Egypt. Maybe he was reading in class. Maybe he was slow to pick up the Egyptian language. Maybe he was slow to figure out all the hieroglyphics and stuff. He's like, what does that mean? No one still knows what those things mean. But maybe he was slow in figuring those things out. And he, he was speaking at a class or in his class one day. Maybe someone made fun of him, like, Moses, come on. Why are you so slow to figure this stuff out? Somebody, either himself, the devil, or someone in authority in his life spoke that word curse over his life. And to this day, he's standing in the presence of God, and he's believing this lie over the truth. God said, it doesn't matter if you're slow with speak. I don't care if you stutter or whatever. I'm going with you. I'm going with you. Joseph Prince, when he first started in ministry, he stuttered and stuttered and stuttered and, and stammered over his words. And, but he, he stuck with it. And over time, he didn't even know when it happened. One day he realized that God had healed him. And I just wonder, what did Moses miss out on here? What other stories we have read about Moses, if he would have just believed what God said about him, that he's going with him, and not be so attached to that emotion, that fe negative feeling of, I can't do it, I'm not good enough, I can't speak, I'm slow of tongue, all this stuff. What, 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 what have we read of him? And that doubt and unbelief that he had in his heart from that heart wound followed him all the rest of his life. Because you remember at the end of his life, God told him to speak to the rock, and he didn't do it. He didn't want to speak to the rock. Because he has this insecurity about speaking. So he smacked the rock with a stick, and next thing he can't go into the promised land. How many promised lands are we not walking into because we can't speak the things God tells us to speak? About us, ourselves, or God? We're so attached to our insecurities and our fears, our failures. We're so attached to these other things that these things have to be more true than what God's saying to me. So we dismiss the voice of God in our life and listen to the voice of the snake. And we follow after the case Sarah Sarah lifestyle that no one's going to know the difference about because we just look like everyone looks like each other. We all look like we have it all figured out or whatever. We don't. And we're missing out on the very promises and the destiny and the calling that God has on your life because you might speak a little slower than somebody else. Or you might stutter a little bit. Or you might, whatever the, the challenge is. You're the weakest of the weak, like Gideon thought he was. You are who God says you are. And it's the question we have to forever settle in our hearts. Because you're only limited by your belief. The devil is not limiting you. Sin is not limiting you. We are limiting ourselves by believing these heart wounds, these pains, these things that happen from our past, thinking that those things are limiting us. And limit, limiting God from using us. Amen. So, verse 11, the Lord says to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes man, the mute, the deaf, the see, the deaf, the, uh, the seen, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what to say. I mean, God can't get much more specific than this for him. Listen, just go. I'll give you the words to say. I'll teach you how to say it. I'll tell you what to say, what not to say. And guess what? He doesn't want to do it. Again, Moses responds in verse 13, but he says, Oh, my Lord, please send the hand of whoever else you may send, but don't send me. I'm not good enough. I'm slowest. I can't do this. Send anybody else but me. He didn't have that Isaiah spirit. He said, Here am I, send me. He was like, Oh, it's me. Send someone else but other than me. 
And I'm telling you, I bet you everyone in this room has been called by God to do something. Everyone, in your bedtime, in, the, in your night, in a dream, in something God spoke to you and told you that you were supposed to do this and this and this, and one day you'll be preaching here or doing this or laying your hands at six, seeing them recover or whatever, and we have disqualified ourselves because of what a teacher said to us in elementary school, what a teacher said to us in middle school, high school, our mom or dad, aunt, uncle, cousin said to us, told us who you are, and it was a lie contrary to what God says you are, and we believe the liar over believing God has hindered us from walking in the things of God. We're not supposed to be normal. We're supposed to be peculiar people, an unusual race of people. We have been recreated in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. All old things have passed away. All things become new. We are now new creatures, recreated in Christ Jesus, righteous and truly holy. We are not who the enemy says we are. We're not. And you are who God says you are. You can do what God says you can do, and you have what God says you have. We are not beggars. We're not paupers. We're not, we're, we are God's masterpiece on the planet. But if your emotions are feeling like, well, you know, I can't speak very good, and I'm the weakest of my tribe, and my dad didn't even really want me. Think of David's life. He had him out on the wilderness taking care of the sheep. He was born in some kind of an affair or an adulterous situation. His dad him out there tending the sheep, and Samuel comes along, and he didn't even think about David to mention that, that he's his son, to even be recognized as possibly to be one of the, the men chosen for, to be the king. God's like, no, he's not the guy. That's the guy. Think of Solomon's life, how he, was, he started. God said, he's the guy. Think of Judah's life. Mm. Line the tribe of Judah, but Judah has some messed up stories, and they're not the Judah we have here, praise God. He's got great stories. But that other Judah, he didn't have some great stories. But God said, that guy. What's really disqualifying us? If God's going to pick these men and women of the Bible, had really messed up characters, really messed up in their integrity, messed up in their stuff. Like, everyone that he used had serious issues. You're like, God, you couldn't find anyone better than Lot? Like, come on, like, really? Like, look at the guy. He was ready to give his daughters these, what? What is that? Like, a, that's a tough thing to read, <laughs> you know? But God still called him righteous. Must have been by faith. <laughs> but anyway, uh, anyway, uh, so in your life, does this sound familiar? Are you saying... Uh, God, anyone else can do better than me. Just pick, Lord, please, just pick someone else. They can do better. They can do it better. Are you asking God to send someone else in your place because you're afraid that you're going to mess things up? I want to tell you this because I, I battle this and I still do at times, and I not as bad as I used to, but I, I mean, I used to sit up here dripping in sweat and soaking and mouth drying out and like, dear God, like I'm talking a million miles an hour. I'm, I'm, it's taken me 16 years to try to slow down. I'm still trying to slow down. And I, when I first started, it was because I couldn't wait to get done because I could get out of here because I was so nervous and that I was going to say something wrong, offend somebody or whatever. I get it. I get what Moses is saying. I get that. I get what Gideon's saying. I get that. I can relate to that. But relating to their weaknesses and their failures isn't going to transform my life into who God wants me to be. Relating to who God says you are, identifying with who God says you are, what he did in your life, that's going to transform your life to who God says you are right now. This is not about the sweet by and by. It's about right now. God says it is finished. It's finished. So look at verse 14. You got a few more verses here, and I'll, we're going to close with a song in a little bit. But verse 14. So God was happy with Moses and danced for joy at his doubt and unbelief. Okay, so anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This is not the first, this is probably the first time. It wasn't the last time we see in the Bible that the anger of God was against Moses. But anyway, and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will greet, 
he will be glad in his heart. Why was God angry here? Because Moses, no matter how hard God tried, said, look, I created your mouth. I created you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to teach you what to say. And he's like, not enough. Sorry, pick somebody else. And again, I just wonder, how many more stories could we have read about Moses' life? Would he have gone into the promised land? Would he have done who knows what other things he would have done if he would have just trusted God with those fears, insecurities, those heart wounds? God knew he was afraid. God knew he, he couldn't speak very well. God knew all those things about him when he called him. But he said, guess what? I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to help you. And guess what? He knows all your weaknesses and failures too. You don't need to give him your list. You don't have to have this negative resume of all your junk that you've done in your lifetime. God knows everything you've done and he doesn't even care about it. It's not the least concerned about it. He said, I'm with you. I'm with you. I am with you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's all you need. Forget the excuses. Forget the accuser of the brethren. Forget all that stuff. Forget your sin past. I took care of it. Listen to what I say. You are who I say you are. So um, Moses' problem of being afraid to speak eventually, laid, eventually led to a greater issue in his life where he wouldn't speak to that rock I mentioned a minute ago, and he couldn't go into the promised land. I don't want that for you guys. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm sure Moses is in heaven. You look in the New Testament, you saw Moses came down with Elijah, talked to Jesus on top of the mountain, transfiguration. It wasn't a heaven thing. It was his identity, his, his destiny, his calling. His, his, it was God's heart for him. He was, he, was, he was missing out on God's best because of his insecurities and fears. What if I tell somebody else I'm afraid? What if I tell someone else that I stutter or, or, or I'm afraid of my speech? Well, guess what? They probably already know it. Um... But if you have a good friend you can talk to about with it, that might pray for you and encourage you to believe what God says anyway. Okay. I have a bunch more in my notes here with this. I'm going to jump down to a verse. But what emotion was driving Moses' decision process here? Mm -hmm. What emotion is driving in your decision-making process? I mean, when are you ever going to feel like we're good enough? Like, when are you ever going to feel like I can do it because of X, Y, Z? I read my Bible three times this year. Or whatever it is that you have on this mystery list in our imagination of when we're going to feel like we're good enough. And guess what? Uh, it's never going to happen. Because as soon as you get to that next achievement in your mind, the devil's going to add one more log on the fire. Like, oh, now you've got to read it four times. Now you've got to do this. Now you've got to do that. Now you've got to do this. And then, then you'll be worthy. And I'm telling you again, it's, it's time to stop listening to the voice of the snake and listen to the voice of our Savior. Um, are you overconscious, self-conscious like Moses? Are you identifying with a false identity, a perceived weakness in your life? Are you identifying who the Father says you are? You know, I said last week, we get our identity through, who our, through our fathers, who they, the attaboys, the, the compliments, and come on, son, you got this. Come on, dog, you got this. You, oh, you're good at that. A father's job is part of that job is to give identity to their children, and that's Father God's job to us, to tell you who you really are. Amen? Uh, I'm going to end with this in one scripture, but if Jesus were to introduce, to introduce you to somebody today, what would he say about you? Now we're going to find out who's self-conscious and sin-conscious and righteousness-conscious and all that stuff, right? What would he say? I wish Dave Mark was here. Maybe he's watching online, but I really doubt Jesus would walk up and say, hey, this is Dave Mark. He's a plumber. 
Everyone here who knows Dave Mark knows that boy, that man is more than a plumber. Okay? I would say he, like Gideon would say, he's a, my mighty man of valor. That guy's going through things and stuff. He's handling things in such godly ways and some battles and temptations and trials and stuff that we all go through. He is a mighty man of valor. Okay? I doubt uh, God would, Jesus would introduce Mark as a, a manager at a mattress store. Hey, here's Mark. He's a manager at the Blackberry Creek store. I think this is, he says something like, this is my mighty warrior, worship warrior, Mark. I mean, we're not our job. We're not our occupation. We're sons of God. Marshall, I really doubt he'd say, hey, uh, he's, he, he works over at the, uh, what's the place called again? <laughs> yeah, whatever it's called. Uh, I wouldn't introduce you as an audio-visual technician. Imagine, hey, this is Marshall. He's really good at sound. Uh, he's an audio-video technician. I doubt it. He'd say, this is my beloved son, and him I'm well pleased. We're no longer to know ourselves after the flesh. We know ourselves after the spirit. The flesh is how you feel about yourself, how you think about yourself, how others think about you. The spirit is how God thinks about you. And what God thinks about you is true. Amen? So, um, I'm, again, I say I'm ending. I'm going to end Colossians 2. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principle of this world, and not according to Christ. Your identity isn't going to come through philosophy, empty deceit, traditions of men handed down by our forefathers or, or somebody else that you know, or the basic principles of this world. Your identity is going to come through who the Father says you are through Christ, it says here. In verses 9 and 10 say this, For in Him, remember He's with you, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principalities and powers. You can start going down the list of your faults and failures, but God Almighty says you are complete in him. And that word means perfect. It means perfect. Filled to the top, like to fill a hole up. It's filled to the top. The net's full. The hole's full. It's whatever was missing in your life is now completed. It's better than the Jerry Maguire movie that said, you complete me, which is like a, ugh. If you saw that way back in the day, you had me at hello, whatever. Uh, when the Bible says that he completes you, that he has perfected you, he means that you are perfected forever by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. I just want to encourage us today in this new season. We're in a new season. Not just the counter change, but a season in the spirit realm has changed. In this season that we're walking into, it is time for us to identify with the new man and not with the old man. It's time to us to identify, look in the mirror, the word of God, the mirror of Christ, and find out who we really are. What's our destiny? What's our calling? Why am I breathing and alive on this planet? Why didn't I die in that car accident? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? What am I doing here? And we're going to find out who we are as we believe what God says about us is true. And then you're going to walk in the things of God and not be surprised by it because you know you're supposed to do it. You were born to do it. Amen. There's things you can do that nobody else is going to do. But we got to believe it. we got to believe it. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here. We're going to uh, close with a song. 
um, who you say I am. Okay, thought it was appropriate. Um, it is so easy to believe the liar. It was so easy for Moses because he's been believing that lie his whole life. He, maybe it happened in elementary school, middle school, whatever. From a young child or whatever, Moses had this identity issue. He had this struggle. And then all of a sudden, God Almighty is talking to him through a burning bush that's not being assumed. Something that never happened in the history of mankind. He's never heard a story about this before. Happening to him. And he can't believe it. How many of you have got prophetic words? You've had God speak to you. You've had things happen, whether in dreams or publicly, or someone call you in a prophetic word or something, and God says all these things about you. But because of all the pain and things we've gone through in the past, you just couldn't believe that God really meant it. That maybe that prophet guy had too much pizza. Or maybe he was just missing it. And I'm telling you, maybe, maybe there's a pattern in the Word of God. Maybe there's a pattern 